Hello, welcome back to the stately hallowed halls of the Apartment Academy. I am your host, the Dean of the Apartment Academy, Daniel Cunningham, and the Apartment Academy is the multifamily industry's only operations-focused podcast where we feature insights from industry leaders, investors, vendors, and technology providers. So if you invest in multifamily real estate or you're involved in day-to-day on-site operations of apartment buildings, we are your source for efficient operations and maximizing ROI. Class is in session. Today's podcast um, was with John Wilhoyt. John is a really consulting asset manager and the author of, of a couple books in the real estate space, which really speak to um, the smaller operators who are in the trenches every day trying to maximize their investment dollar. So I hope, uh, again, you, you really take something away from today's interesting discussion. Let's get to it. Hi, John. Welcome to the Academy. Happy to be here. Thanks for this. I'm glad you got it up and running and started. It's great. Yeah, the uh, you know the the Apartment Academy has been a, a long time um, discussion on uh, about you know how we can how we can get out there and deliver some value to uh, the operations side of multifamily, and um, I think I think we're accomplishing that. We've had some great. We had, we've had some great guests on, and, and John, you've got an interesting perspective, uh, having you know wrote a few books um, in the subject of, of property management. Uh, let me ask you. Let's start there. Um, uh, first of all, your background. Uh, what what uh, what bi- what business do you have writing a book on on multifamily real estate, John? Oh, I don't know. Maybe just a lot of years of being out there, getting uh, the dents in my forehead, and you know, and. Um, scuffed knees along the way, but I've, I've been in this business a long time, specifically as a multifamily asset manager. I've worked for government and private sector. Uh, I've traveled all over the country working for merchant builders, nonprofits, uh, nonprofit developers, for-profit developers. So I've just been in those trenches uh, from new development, new construction ground up to redevelopment to standard, basic, boring, garden apartment, multifamily operations. Uh, which, you know, compared to some of those other aspects is the best, the most straightforward part of the business. So at the end of the day, you want to operate the business, right? You want to operate the business profitably and as it, as it is an ongoing concern. So at the end of the day, that's where we want to end up. We want to end up with a, a stable, solid multifamily business that does what it's supposed to do, that competes well in the marketplace. So all of those things are built on the precepts that you can do everything before that, meaning develop the property, uh, redevelop the property if that's necessary and do it appropriately so that it is competitive in the marketplace, put in the right amenities, all of those things that are required. So for me, uh, I started out of I started out of college just doing rehabs myself on single family homes. Then I bought some small apartment buildings. Uh, then I found this wonderful woman that said yes and married me and we went to DC, Washington DC, where I worked for the state of Maryland for a while working in multifamily asset management. Then I I had a job with AIMCO, which is the largest real estate investment trust at the time with 400,000 units doing asset management. And then I moved over to HUD doing community development, uh, which was in essence redevelopment and new construction. And uh, from there, uh, I've just been a rolling stone, but st- staying in my lane in multifamily asset management. But along the way, you've had a chance to write a couple books, um, one of which we wanted to talk about today, which was the Rent Roll Triangle. 
Uh, talk a little bit about how you came up with the concept of the rent roll triangle. Sure. It's, it's, the offshoot is from my first successful book, which is uh, How to Read a Rent Roll. And that book is focused on rent roll analysis and how to do it from any level. Whether you have supercomputers or just the back of an envelope, you really have to know and dive into the rent roll to understand multifamily assets. So in writing that book uh, and working in, with some assets that were really severely underperforming, I just had to stop and think, what can I do to make this better? You know, nothing was working. And even though it should have been working. So that was the original output or concept of the book. And that was me thinking about how can I make this better? Everything is in place, but there's just something missing that I can't see what it is. So I had to segregate the incomes. And when I started segregating the incomes, I could kind of reconnect them in a way that made sense and that also provided new information. And that's where the rent roll triangle calculation came out of. We say things weren't working, John. What does that mean? You're, you're operating, you got an apartment building. What, what, what doesn't look right? What doesn't feel right about the financials that leads you to believe something's missing? If, if you're in the business full-time and you go to a property and you haven't even seen the financials yet, right? You're just on site. If you're a full-time professional in the business, you can al- almost see what's working and not working before you've even met the staff based on presentation, based on how the property is kept up. Best based on the neighborhood that it's that it's that the property is sitting in, so there's certain things you can see walking in the door, right? Then the next step is meeting staff. Are they professional? Do they know what they're doing? Are things working there? Yes, good. Property presentation is good. Staff is good. Why isn't this property performing as it should? It's generally one of two things, right? It's either revenue is is not performing, meaning it's not capturing the revenue that it should or expenses are not being controlled. Those are the two common themes, right? Revenue or expenses. So on the revenue side, there's all these things we can do to try to increase revenue besides just rents, but those are the bells and whistles that go on top of the cake, right? The real cake is rents. And on the expense side, either a site staff knows what they're doing or they don't. And if they do, then their house is probably gonna be in good order. Doesn't mean they can't use additional assistance in doing better in controlling expenses. But it's the rents that's the thing. So what I did with Rent Roll Triangle is I segregated out the different types of rents. So one of the rents is gross potential, right? That's our goal. That's where everybody wants to head. We want to hit gross potential every day, all day, if we can do it. And that's a changing number, right? It's never the same from one day to the next because maybe you don't have this, you at that property don't have the same inventory. That changes regularly as does your competition. So with all of those moving pieces, gross potential rent is kind of a moving target. But if again, if you're in the business full-time and you, you know you know your stuff, you're going to target, you're going to hit your gross potential. You're going to know what it is anyway. Well, John, why don't we, let's, let's, let's pause there for a second. Let's talk about gross potential rent a little more. What, what, is, um, what does gross potential rep, uh, rent actually represent? Gross potential rent represents the highest probable rent that can be obtained by a particular unit, not by a particular property. It's really a particular unit because once you can do it at the unit level, that allows you to build on that for the different types of units that you have within your portfolio or at that property. So if you can 
target and attain gross potential rent and say, that's the number this unit should rent for, given our market conditions, given our competition, and given what our history is and we know where we should be, then that's how you're going to roll up into what gross potential rent could be or should be on a particular unit. And then you can roll that up for your entire property. And and why does that change on a on a regular basis, John? Why isn't that more static? It changes regularly because of the elasticity within any, any given market. Um, and it doesn't. And I, I like to use Dallas as an example because it's a well developed market. Everybody knows kind of where Dallas is and what it looks like. But when you drill down at Dallas, there's 38 different submarkets, right? So. Your property, if you just have one, is likely competing in a specific submarket in that submarket only. People that live on the west side are not moving to the east side, not very often. They're staying in the marketplace that they know. So the properties that you're competing against are in that same submarket. So those are the ones that tell you those properties that you're competing against. And your own asset, those are the properties that tell you what your gross potential will be based on the research you do on competitive assets and that's why it changes because everyone's inventory changes all the time right and taking going the next step past there it could be that a new property comes into the submarket well that changes the dynamics even more because now there's a different level of inventory and there's also a new competitive property so that's some of the reasons why gross potential changes all the time inventory changes in inventory new competition that potentially comes in. Mm-hmm. And as a, as a, for somebody who's going to, this is sort of morphing into a, an acquisitions discussion here, but that's, that's okay. There's some good stuff here. So as somebody who might be looking at acquiring a, a property, how much, um, um, how much credence would you give the GPR of a, of a, of a seller in terms of def- de- defining the, the upside in any given property? It's nice to know. It's nice to know from the broker seller, broker and or seller, what they think that number is. But the buyer has the responsibility for ascertaining that number on their own. Because remember, you can't just do a GPS, GPR for the property. You really have to do it on a unit by unit basis and then roll that up into what gross potential can be for that asset. Right. So thank you, Mr. Seller, Mr. and Mrs. Seller, for giving me the number that you think it is. And it's my job to validate it as the buyer. Yeah, a GPR can be aspirational too. And so it, proving it out through your own comps. Yes, yes. We aspire all the time. But that's that's part of being in a business. We aspire. Okay, so we've got GPR down. GPR representing the 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 maximum rent any unit should met rent should rent for uh in that current market. Um so you, you separated that out. What else became important in, in the in your process of developing the rent roll triangle? The three pillars are the three types of rent that are connected to any property gross potential rent being one stated lease rents which is the actual amount of rents that should be collected per your leases and then there's the actual amount collected which is collections and funny that none of those three are ever exactly all aligned together right you'll never go run into a property where your gross potential rent stated lease rents and collections are exactly the same number there's always a gap period there's always a gap. And it doesn't mean that there's always a gap amongst all three, but there's certainly always a gap between existing leases and gross potential because your leases could be one, two, or three years old. And if there were no rental increases over that period of time, 
then gross potential has really kind of gotten away, right? And then even at the best of properties, seldom will you see a property that has 100% collections. So if your collection should be 24,000 monthly, uh, because that's what your stated leases say, uh, you're doing good if you get 23,000, right? 23,005 is a great number because you're at 97, 98% of collections based on leases. But again, you'll notice also that there's still a gap. Yeah, and there's a word for that gap between um, GPR and and in-place leases, right, John? There's a phrase for that. Yeah, well, there's loss to lease, and then there's also right vacancy loss, and then there's, I mean, it's it's kind of like when we were talking about gross potential rents versus uh, gross potential sales. It just depends on the entity and what terminology they want to use for that. Because then there's also loss to lease with respect to the differential between collections and stated lease rents. So we can use that term interchangeably. Yes. And so knowing these three pillars, John, what do you, what, how does that help understanding these pillars? How does that help a multifamily operator? And, and that was the reason that I think that this calculation has value because once you ascertain or determine what those differentials are, then you know where to spend your time to remedy. And if you don't know where those differentials are, you're just kind of guessing, poking, wondering what to do next. So there's a there's an outlier though with respect to the rent roll triangle. So the rent roll triangle depicts those three types of rents that we just discussed: gross potential rent, collected rents, or excuse me, gross potential rent, stated lease rents, and then collections or collected rent. Those are the three points of the triangle. There's an outlier though that affects all of those, and that is the term of the lease. So the shorter the term of the lease, the lower a rent roll triangle score that your property will have. And the longer the term of the lease, the greater score, uh, rent roll triangle score, your property will have. But you still need to look at the relationship between those three leases, right? So, or three types of income. So if you look at those, you'll see gaps. And wherever the biggest gap is, that's where the most revenue is being lost. And that allows you to immediately attack that area of the business. So if you're in a workforce housing property, let's say it's 92 units and everything rents for $1,000 a month, but it looks like it's doing well because collections are at 100% or it looks like collections are at 100%. But when you look closer, 10% of the revenue is from late fees. That means that there's a lot of people not paying their rent, right? So as much as income should be 92,000, maybe income is only 82,000 and the difference is being made up in late fees. That's kind of a red flag, right? That tells you that that property isn't being operated as efficiently or as proficiently as it should be, either because of underwriting standards or because of the in-place resident base, which has got a custom to paying most of their rent and they pay late fees when they can. That's not standard operating procedure. And that tells you that if there's a gap between stated leases and collections, then that's an area to address. Flip side is, let's say that you're at 100% collections, that same workforce housing property, and your rent should be $92,000, and you're collecting $92,000, and everything looks kosher until you do your gross potential rent calculation and see that, you know what, if we were pushing rents, then we should really be at 108. dollars $108,000 a month collection, not 92. Well, there's a significant gap there. 
that means rents haven't been raised for some time. So you know then to cl- to focus your efforts on lease renewals and lease increase and rent increases going forward. So utilizing the rent roll triangle, it really allows you to determine in short order where you should uh, focus staff time for purposes of gaining more rental income. John, how how would you recommend somebody ascertain if if they see a, a delta between their uh, a large delta between their GPR and their in place lease? So a large loss to leases, I would I would define it. Um, how does he ascertain if that's uh, just a GPR that's set too high, just not realistically at- achievable, um, versus just underperforming on the leasing side in terms of uh, you know leasing to that GPR? Yeah, the first thing to do would be to look at the term, uh, to look at the existing leases and see how long they've been in place. So if you have long-standing tenants with no rental increases, you know that's the underlying cause of why there's such a significant gap, right? If you've been getting rental increases every year and there's still that gap all the way up, lost to lease between state of lease rents and gross potential, then I would agree with your assumption that you know maybe we're maybe we're our aspirations are a little too high, but if you've seen that there's been no rental increases for several years and everyone that's there has remained in place for several years, the vast majority, meaning you have low turnover, and low turnover is something under 30% annually in a market rate property, then you also know what the issue is, right, and what to attack. You know that attack in terms of what to do to remedy the differential between state of lease rents and gross potential. You need to raise rents. And if that means upgrading the asset or increasing the amenities to do so, that's also a tell, right? That means that the property hasn't kept pace with its competitive competitive forces within its marketplace, or the term I like to use, within its submarket. So the, let me restate one of the things I just heard you say, because I think it's important. Uh, if you have a property who's um, who is not which which is not meeting the, is not closing that gap, that loss of lease gap. And you look at it and you see low turnover and high occupancy, that would indicate you have room for upward rental growth. If you're at if you're at 98, 99% occupancy and and people aren't leaving, <laughs> you, your rents are probably too low, right? I think that's well, it doesn't mean that they're you know that they are exponentially too low, but it does mean that there's room for rent growth, right? Particularly if there's a gap between that fully collected rents and gross potential rent. So yeah, let's just get off of the aspirational rents for a minute and say that we've done a really good job and we know that our one bedroom should rent for $1.80 a square foot. And you look at your existing inventory and you look at existing rents and you see that they're at $1.50. That's a pretty substantial differential. So it doesn't mean that you can raise rents across the board to gain that 30 cents per square foot, right? All at the same time. But you can look at up to upping that at lease renewal and a turnover. So you don't have to create turnover to get leases higher, but you do have to pay attention to your leases as compared to what gross potential is. Now, this is this whole discussion is the reason that revenue management was invented, right? That revenue management software was created. I, I don't know what your experience is utilizing any of those tools. Are, are there any revenue management software systems that you're particularly familiar with? The ones that Yardi and RealPage represent, they're, they're good systems. They're also very expensive. 
Um, most of my audience are rental property owners that may or may not have professional third-party property management. A lot of them, you know, folks that, that read my books and that uh, are looking for additional tools can't spend $100,000 a year on software, right? They can't spend $50,000 a year on software. So both both companies, RealPage and Yardi, solid companies. They offer great products, great services. Uh, but what about everybody else, which is the 80%, right? I mean, 20% plus of the multifamily market is institutional with all of those things that all of the tools, staffing that are required to run properties professionally. And then there's everybody else, the folks that have a duplex, a fourplex, 18 units, 36 units, that they may or may not have a site manager. Uh, they may or may not have third-party property management, professional property management. So that's why the Rent World Triangle is there for them, because you don't have to have, you know, you don't have to spend $10,000 a year to learn a little bit of analytics that you can actually apply in your business. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a third of the of the, um, the the housing stock nationwide is below five units or less in a building. So there's a lot of people falling into this category who who can't uh, whose rents can't justify probably the use of a revenue management software. So this is this is the do it yourself. Revenue management is looking at the these factors in the rent roll triangle. This is the back of the envelope. And that's kind of how I presented it. And then in my first book, I put a few chapters in the back of it on Rent Roll Triangle, and then I got so many questions about it that I ended up going ahead and writing an actual book entitled Rent Roll Triangle. Yeah. So like, okay, year, here's what I meant. This year, I've done the next best thing. So this year on johnwellhoyt.com, there's a tool that will do the calculation for you. And there's also a methodology for printing it out once you get the calculation in. So you have to put in your own numbers. I'm not going to tell you what your gross potential should be. Sorry, we don't, we're not that deep yet. Uh, but you can go to johnwilhoyt.com, put in your gross potential rent, stated lease rents and collections, and get an output for what your rent roll triangle score is for your asset. And then press print and have that to walk around the property with or show to your property manager so that you can come up with solutions for why there's a differential between these numbers. And what are the levers that you can, which I think we talked about some of them already, but are, are there other, what other levers we haven't discussed? Can you, can you manipulate to fix a low, I assume a low rent roll triangle score is bad, right? The lower the score. Yeah. The, the more there is to fix the higher the score, the less there is to fix. I, I think something that's important to point, point out is that I mentioned lease term earlier. And that really does have a significant impact on the output. And it also has a significant impact on the value of your asset. People, some people think that high turnover is good because you get to raise rents all the time, but turnover cost is severe and it's not getting any better. Now, someone I was speaking with in the last week was talking about spending $40 for a single piece of three quarter inch plywood. I mean, not that we need plywood for turnovers, but that's just one, one piece of material, right, for doing some work. So our expenses, our costs are not getting any lower, uh, our, which means our efficiency has to get higher if we're going to operate our property at a high level. And doing that requires using some tools like Leonardo 24-7 that allows us to capture what we should be doing consistently, right? And then there's other tools like Rent Roll Triangle that give you a snapshot, and that's all it is. It's a snapshot of where maybe you can focus additional time to do a better job on revenue management. 
Yeah, you just pointed out a really tricky situation. I mean, at, at what cost do you chase a higher GPR? You know, it's not it's not just that you may have to you may have to um, you know put replace the appliances with stainless appliances to get another hundred another hundred hundred fifty dollars in rent. Just the cost of the turn itself might obviate the need um, to try to to try to raise rents and 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 turn that unit. Um, there's vacancy time, and then there's the cost to turn the unit. None of those are trivial, and that's a lot. That's a lot to to manage, isn't it? Well, and the other part of that is when we talk about lease term, you know, you want your lease terms to be longer versus shorter, but not so long that they affect revenue, right? If you get complacent, and that's the biggest thing that I devote most of my time to uh, with just about everybody that I work with. The first thing I'm really looking for is, hey, is this an active owner or is this a complacent owner? And if they're complacent, I can already tell you that I'm going to find more things than I would otherwise, right? Because nobody's looking. And it doesn't mean that they don't have a manager or professional property management. Well, who's looking at the management if it's not the owner? Who's who's assisting them in doing a better job if not the owner? Um, so those are the things we look at just on the surface. But as you get that envelope and turn it over and do a few calculations, you can really see where to focus your time. Because um, going back to lease term, you don't want to create vacancy, right, for the sake of a small rental increase. Now, there are times to strategically create vacancy. I wrote an article on that uh, some time ago about uh, strategic vacancy, but that has a purpose. But for purposes of just increasing revenue, then part of increasing revenue is getting 12-month leases. So here's the hot tip of the of the podcast, if you're ready for it. Are you ready for it, I'm Daniel? ready. Um, All right. Yes. Hot tip of the podcast that will increase your revenue 10% or more is drum roll please when it comes time for lease renewal to actually get a lease renewal for a 12-month term so smaller owners have a propensity to say you know first 12 months is a 12-month lease term and then after that it's month to month which provides a lot of flexibility for for the resident right well you're not in the business of creating flexibility for the resident you're in the business of making money as a multifamily owner so at lease term renewal, if you're not getting another 12-month lease, then your rents should be higher than they would otherwise. And that's what compensates you, the owner, for allowing or for offering a shorter lease term to your in-place residents. Right. So uh, lease, renew your lease at 12 months at one rate, stay month to month, okay, but your, but your rent's going to be higher. Correct. Mm-hmm. And you you find that principle being violated frequently as you as you in the consulting that you do, John. Always. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, not not at, not at the institutional level. I mean, for institutional le- uh, level operators, no, they don't do that. But everyone else does uh, because they think it's safer. They don't want that resident to leave, right? So they say, sure, sure, you can do month to month from here. Well, if you're giving up two hundred bucks a month for letting them stay, you're already going in the wrong direction, right? Right. Right. Well, speaking of um, of um, dollars that you're giving people to stay, where does where does concessions figure into all of this, John? If you're offering, if you've offered concessions, how does that how does that skew the rent roll triangle calculation? Uh, it does skew it, but it also allows you to look deeper into your competitive marketplace. You know, at the at the depths of the last recession, 
you could get a 12 month lease in Houston with two months free. Right. And that was standard operating procedure because people were just trying to get leases any way they could. Uh, but circumstances like that are not normal, of course. But uh, concessions are not so much as important as what is important is that what concessions work. And if they're working on your behalf and they're creating occupancy, that means they're also creating an additional net dollar, right? Or gross dollar. You're actually increasing your revenue stream by offering a concession. So if that's a ha if that's happening, then you're likely using the right concessions and they're working on your behalf. If they start to just cost money and all they ever do is cost money and you're not seeing any rental revenue increases along with the concessions, then you need to use a different concession. You need to use something different that works for you and for that property. Well, what's, while we're on the subject, then let's introduce another term, which would be uh, effective rent. So you might have uh, you might have a certain amount of rent on the rent roll, um, but your effective rent um, is actually different if you've offered a concession to get there. So if it's a if it's a twelve month rent uh, lease. And you gave, you've given them the first month free. Well, you, you sort of have to take that off if, if you look at your revenue. Like this, this unit didn't actually achieve this rent. It achieved a different rent, right? Even if, even if that concession is not amortized, right? You, take, you still amortize that one month off the whole 12 months, yeah? Yeah, and, and you don't really get that as a write-off, right? It's just a straight loss because you never see that income. And that was the problem I had with, with going through this calculation for creating rent roll triangle. Do I put effective rent in there also, which we would often refer to as loss to lease? Because it's yet another part of the calculation that can really muddy the waters. But I chose to leave it out because it's not a consistent matter, whereas the other three types of income are always consistent. We always have gross potential rent. We always have uh, an actual dollar amount on our lease, and we always know how much we're collecting. So those three numbers I know at the end of any given month uh, with respect to, to concessions and effective rent, I, I can't capture that consistently. And at least I couldn't put it into the calculation where it made sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I get it. But good to know, though, because you, when it comes to renewal time, you look at the rent roll and you think, well, my resident's paying $1,000 a month. But if they received a, a concession up front, in the, in the resident's mind, that's not what they're paying, right? They're paying something less than that. So you do need to understand that that effective rent so you can understand what, what the net effect of any rent uh, increase you're going to give that resident is going to feel like to that person who's in that unit, right? It makes a difference. I, I think you're creating a, a why in the road there. Um, that's true and, and correct for institutional owners that have the wherewithal and the software to, to deploy that. But most owners that have less than 100 units they're not going to have the, the, the technology on site to be able to make those changes. So what they'll do is they'll offer two months free right, with the renewal, and they'll just write that off at the very beginning and get it gone. They're not going to amortize it over the term of the lease. Now, a large company is going to give you a concession, and they're going to reduce that, and you're going to see it on your statement on Rent Cafe or something else, right? Every single month that there's a concession uh, for, that was provided for signing the new lease. But for everybody else, if they're offering that concession, they're just going to get it gone as soon as they can. Yeah, it, w it won't be. I mean, just accrual accounting is sometimes not present at the smaller assets, so you don't you don't see that sort of thing. But but nonetheless, it still is a real effect 
whether you're institutional or you're a smaller operator, it is a real effect in terms of the psyche of your of your resident when it comes to renewal time. If they received a concession, you do need to be mindful of that when you go to renew their lease because that's math that they're doing in their head. Yeah, and it's a matter of if it makes sense to them and, and they get excited about it, right? Because if it's just a concession that's not being not being utilized, then it's not doing you any good. If it's a concession that is being utilized, then I go back to my premise that, okay, it's, it's, is it good for you? Is it good for the property? That this concession that you're actually implementing and that people are actually accepting, is that does that work for you? Does that work for the asset? Does that get you where you need to go? Is it making something happen of a positive nature for that property? Is it actually increasing aggregate revenue because of the concession? So if there's a positive event that comes out of it, that's the concession to use. Uh, if it's a downward spiral because everyone, every last person that renews is taking the concession, uh, you're not going in the right direction. Wow, so much to talk about on this front, John. Uh, we, we should have you back another time. We can take a, take another dive into financials and the, the psychology behind uh, the analysis of the rent roll. It's because uh, it's really important, especially as you mentioned. Uh, if you're a smaller operator who who maybe doesn't have the benefit of some of these larger PMS systems that are in place that can automate a lot of this, um, you really have to be cognizant of all these things, or you're going to be leaving money on the table. Yeah, and it's an it's an imperative for the owner to understand these matters because they're the ones that the property management company works for, right? Mm-hmm. And the, the level of service at property management companies is often very good, but it doesn't mean they know everything. So if you can bring something new to the table, if you can bring some another tool for them to implement that benefits them and also benefits you and your property, then that's a good thing. Or they can bring in a consultant like John Wilhoit, right? And by the way, John, if if people do want to get in touch with you, how, how I think you mentioned you you have a website. You want to hit that one more time for us? Yep. JohnWilhoit.com, which is uh, I've been working on for quite some time, should be in the marketplace here pretty soon. Uh, if you go there, you'll find at least 100 pages of information that you can download. Uh, Rent Roll Triangle will be working on that website along with uh, some other financial calculators that provide you with outputs to give you a good snapshot particularly on acquisitions of, of how to look at a property and capture information that's important and imperative to any potential owner. So johnwellhoyt.com is the thing. Well, thank you, John. Thanks for coming on today. It's been, uh, I hope I hope it's been educational for everybody. Um, really important stuff to talk about and understand. Yeah. So thanks so much. Hey, Dan, I appreciate you having me. I know we've known each other for well more than 10 years. I bet you it's been 15 years. So I do hope we have an opportunity to spend more time together in the future. You count on it. Count on John. Good to see you. Thanks for logging in and attending class today here at the Apartment Academy. If you've enjoyed these podcasts and you feel like your management company could use a little advice from some of the professors here at the Apartment Academy, then go to our website, apartmentacademy.com, and click Help Me. We'll send you a questionnaire and provide individualized responses to your answers at no charge that I guarantee will offer you insights on ways that you can immediately improve apartment operations. Look forward to talking to you again when class is next in session.